I would say, thinking back, that it's probably nothing much to report from my side for the last couple of weeks. So I was just, I was just wondering if, if you've got any news, anything happened? <laughs> well, we did discuss in the last pod that I was possibly in labour. Turned out I was right. <laughs> That is amazing um, that you were actually in the early stages of labour during that record. You held it together well, so well. Well, after after we finished, we were having a quick chat before we went and you were saying, it sounds like you're in labour. And I was like, no, no I'm, I'm, only, I'm only messing. It's not really. Uh, and then, yeah, a few hours later, I was in the hospital. So, um, and, and that was it. And it resulted in a baby. <laughs> I can't believe you had to add that. <laughs> but thank you for everyone. We did. Um, I have to say that the few markers that you were saying I was thinking I think you're in labor I was like well this 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 you're like no it's fine and I also remember saying to you that a lot of the time labor starts at night like proper labor because that's when you're at your most relaxed and that's something I I didn't know before I had the fellas well do you remember at the end of the pod I was just rocking yeah you were (laughs) I I could just feel it the whole thing oh Oh, well, you know, I'm pretty relaxed throughout these things, as most people uh, will have gathered by now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, even speaking to the midwife on the phone, she was like, yeah, yeah, you're in labour. And then I spoke to Ben and I was like, um, she says I'm in labour, but I'm not so sure. <laughs> he was like, oh, my God. You are stubborn, aren't you? I've decided you are very stubborn. It's it's a little bit like when you're pregnant, uh, eating and drinking. Are you eating and drinking enough? Yes. And then a couple of weeks later, I don't think I was eating and drinking enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We, we have this pattern forming here, don't we? So we, so the, the little fella. How early was the little fella? Uh, nearly three weeks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, fairly early. I'm, my due date's not for another week. <laughs> so, but I can tell you that you look okay. So you're not rocking. So, so the differences for me just, and we're doing this obviously um, socially distanced. You're at home. I'm at home. But the difference is, a, you're not rocking. Yeah. But B, you look tired. The eyes. Yeah. I'm noticing uh, I'm noticing tired eyes, but no rocking. But that, if I turned up looking fresh, you'd be like, Are you looking after your baby? That's, you no, I'd be like, This is this is amazing. You must have one of these wonder babies. No, it's not that, right. It's not right. Just... <laughs> but how how I know a lot of people listening who have kind of followed this journey with us will want to know, how are you feeling? How has it been the first few days of being a mum? Yeah, fine. It's a breeze. Sorry. <laughs> It's not a big deal, is it? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, my life has entirely changed. So that's uh, that's a bit of an adjustment. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, do you know what? Everything's absolutely fine. Just just the tiredness, right? It's just that's what you sign up for. So you can't really complain about it. But it's uh, it's hard work for sure. It's a, it's a full-time job. That's the point. And A, thank you to everybody for the baby names. And B, it was quite funny. I sent out a message last week just to say we'll be back soon. And like a little winky face. And because we'd sort of said the pod might stop at some point due to this event happening, uh, lots of people were, it was really, they were saying, oh, congratulations, sending you well wishes. They're like, well done, Roger's arrived. Well done, Flavio's here. Well done. <laughs> and if you looked at the timeline on a Twitter feed, it was like you've just had about nine babies because yeah. <laughs> everyone was writing with like a different baby name off the end of it. So, um, yeah, I'm so gutted. I couldn't go with Roger. This is so sad. <laughs> well, I, a few people, I think, believe you have gone with Roger and a little bit like me will now know him as Roger. <laughs> yeah, he can be Roger as a nickname. That's <laughs> Ben won't know what is going on. All, everybody that he meets will just be like, Roger. Well, I sent you um, a little blanket and I put the name on. And I have to say, I, obviously, I, I went 
with the name but I did have a little chuckle thinking should I put Roger on I thought no that would just be so weird but it, it <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing can I just say it did cross my mind it, it crossed my mind for milliseconds and I thought your other half might not be pleased and it might just add to a little bit of confusion but yeah you won't understand no but a lot of a lot of our listeners do believe that that Roger the second although there's been many more since <laughs> has has now arrived so so on behalf of everybody congratulations Ah, oh, thanks everyone. I appreciate it, and I appreciate all of the uh, the name the name help. That was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, thank you very much for that. So I'm taking I'm taking you haven't really been following the tennis, or have you? I don't know. What... Well, I've had you know a fair amount of time because he came in between Paris and the O2. <laughs> I love the way so... that's how we judge babies. I was like, yeah, yeah well... mine was four days before Wimbledon started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But my entire calendar is just based on that. I don't do months and days. I don't know. I don't even know what his birthday is. Um, but yeah, so I was watching a, a fair chunk of of the O2 and listening to you, of course. And uh, yeah, it seemed like it was a. Do you know what was funny? It was like the most straightforward of you know the maths the permutations that go on oh, it seemed yeah. to be fairly straightforward because every year I mean you get in a full tiz about it because you because you're actually sort of the presenter and have to know this well, stuff no, and I also can't do numbers <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I I love dealing with words I hate dealing with numbers but I normally just leave it and just respond to what anyone else says if they say that Medvedev <laughs> needs to win a set I'll be like well Medvedev needs to win a set <laughs> so I've got no idea whereas for you you actually kind of need to have a grasp of the numbers and each year it's been so so difficult because we would normally work together at the O2 and we were supposed to work together this year but it turns out it was a wise decision for me not to work at the O2 <laughs> even though I did consider it I remember when you were working you said oh, I'm going to be doing Paris Bercy I remember saying like a bit of a mother I was saying no I don't think you should do that do you think it's wise if you work that tournament do you think you're like I think it'll be okay and then eventually you're like I think when the rocking starts a bit more, you're like, oh, maybe, maybe a few days <laughs> yeah. before. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so it was, um, it was fairly straightforward. I think in, in on the whole, right? I mean, Medvedev won it, and he won it by beating the number one, two, and three in the world. So you can't get more straightforward than that. He bossed it. Yeah, it, it was very straightforward in the singles groups and one of the doubles groups. But there was one doubles group that had every possible scenario known to man or woman I mean it, you looked at this table and it's one of those tables you have to read down and across and everybody's involved and at that point I was like oh I'm not sure I can do that so I delegated very early on in the week to Miles McClagg and I said Miles the job is yours as we get later in the week if you could just take over that role but as it turned out it was only that one group where it was still wide open on the final day and everything could happen but as you say in the singles it was it was pretty straightforward what did you did you watch any of the tournament? Or were you largely listening to the tournament? I did a bit of both, actually. Sometimes both at the same time, which is one of my favourite things to do. But uh, yeah, no, I was yeah, I watched a chunk. What were your because for me, it's the first time I've missed the crowds, and we've had we had Paris Bercy indoors, so it wasn't just because we'd suddenly moved indoors and you're quite enclosed and it's quite a you know a dark space really, apart from where the court is. But for me. I don't know it's because of the nature of the event and the fact that a couple of players I think they're quite they're quite exhausted with everything that's gone on in terms of the this condensed calendar all the testing will they be okay the no crowds and Stefano Sitzbach seemed quite affected by that but for me it's the first time um, I've really noticed the lack of crowds and I really missed the crowd noise. Do you think different to Bercy though? 
Because for me, it's like the indoor vibe. It feels very echoey. It feels very empty. No, but it's weird. Bercy, I didn't... It it was strange probably on the first day of Bercy, you know, the noise of the ball, it's very different. You're suddenly, as I say, indoors. And one of the courts in Bercy, it's like being in a school gym hall, isn't yeah. it? So it's, it's, it's very echoey whether you've got crowds or not. But it's strange. I didn't really notice it. But I think, think about the two finals. It's, it's all about the kind of the show, isn't it? It's like pizzazz. It's, it's dry ice, big welcomes, the... The LED screens round flash with match point, ace, break points, the music. I, I don't know. It, it's strange, isn't it? I didn't really. It. I didn't really notice it at Bercy at all. But I felt it was there was a real hole in London. Yeah. Well, I think the O2 has done such a phenomenal job of hosting that tournament. I think they've really taken what an indoor tennis event can be to new heights through the the time they've had it you know all of the the lighting as you were saying and the music and it just hits the right sort of note it's just enough to really get everybody going get really excited you remember last year how much I loved the opening music (laughs) for the singles oh this little I mean I I live for a montage I I love I love a good montage you know when you get it right when you get the footage right and the music right oh it's just the best um but yeah that sort of thing and uh I think it really was a show. I agree with you outside of the slams. I mean, okay, you've got the likes of Indian Wells and those sorts of things, but they're big outdoor events. They're it's, it's kind of different because they're, it's almost like a theme park because it's a big space and there's lots of different courts and restaurants and all this stuff to go to. Whereas at the O2, there's a court. I mean, you, you might be able to sneak over to the practice court if you want, but there's a court, there's some restaurants well, actually, the restaurants are outside. Once you're in, you're in, aren't you? So it's basically yeah. just a, a bar, a burger, and a restaurant, and, and a and a court. I mean, so it's all about the tennis, but it is also made into a real show. And I just think because they've done it so well, it almost it, it was more affected by it this year. It's just such a it's a bit of a rubbish way for them to go out. It's it's a it's a real shame. But they've absolutely smashed it through the twelve years, haven't they? Sounds quite ideal, doesn't it? Bar, burger, and court. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That sounds like quite a good day. No, they, they've done an amazing job, and it's amazing that we actually had the tournament in the first place. And from speaking to our friends and colleagues who were there, the bubbles were quite strict. You didn't mix with another bubble. I think there was maybe three bubbles or something, and you stayed specifically in your bubbles and the players talked about having their own floor in the hotel and they were driven to the entrance despite the fact the hotel is literally you you cross a pedestrian crossing and you're there so it was it was very very strict it was very very safe it was very very secure but it was uh, and also look uh, London's a little bit bigger than Bursa you go up to what 17 and a half thousand in terms of the fans who are there but it was uh, no look it was great they've done so well it's such a shame that they couldn't celebrate the 50th anniversary of the tournament and the last one, London, as they would have wanted to. But in terms of the quality of tennis, I mean, okay, you probably expect it. You've got the top eight players coming face to face. And for me, the big thing about this was the mix. You had you had the Diego Schwartz, and I think this will be his first and last appearance at Tour Finals. He's Ooh, he's uh, he's wow. He's, what, do you think he'll be there again? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Do you, I I just think I just think with the I think he's done. You know, I have a massive soft spot for Diego Schwartzman, and mm. I think he has done so well to get into the top ten, to be a top ten player, to to have done what he's done so far, and to get to the tour finals. I just don't see. It also has been we have to remember a different year, 
and there were some players yes. who weren't playing. And so, for instance, if Roger Federer had turned up, Diego Schwartzman would have been an alternate because he came in at number eight. So there's yeah, well, Fed was injured, so yeah, that's, that's slightly different. But but you know, what? I I just think it has. I I don't want to take away from what he's done because what he's done is amazing. But if you said to me, you've got to put your house. Uh, would you put your house on Diego Schwartzman being back at the Tour Finals? I would be so happy if he does, but I don't think he will be. Is Yeah, and I think that's that's sort of fair enough. You would always look at him kind of being 7th, 8th or maybe an alternate um, for, for it. I think the, the main problem is over the next year, the players that are coming up behind... You know the likes of Shapovalov, and yeah, you know, there's a, there's a few who you would think exactly could 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 snatch one of those last couple of spots next year. You don't really expect the top five or six to change. Um, if you add in Federer, well, then you're running out of space, spaces, aren't you? But there are going to be a couple of people who might be looking to to muscle in a couple of the younger ones. And and, and but then I would say about Andre Rublev, who went in in seventh and got that one win against Dominic Team in the third match. When you, it was a great performance from Rublev, but you did feel that Team was conserving his energy a little bit of the energy for what was to come I believe Rublev will be back there probably multiple occasions Uh, part of that is because he's a lot younger and he is part of that wave coming through but as I say look I it's phenomenal to see Diego Schwartzman there it was sad he couldn't get a win but he did say before when he was like you know people who would you like to be in a group with the three he got he said that's my worst possible group Djokovic Mm. Zverev and Medvedev I mean that's the worst possible matchup for no I'm not saying that Nadal and team etc easy but in terms of himself feeling like he had a chance so but what I, I loved is that you had the Rublev and Schwartzman who were there for the very first time experiencing it amazing and then you had the I'm just going to call them young and old I know Dominic team's 27 wow but okay. do, do you see what what's I'm, he going into but old. well he's going in young oh wow in terms of and when I say young and old I mean in terms of what they've won so the old I'm giving Nadal and Djokovic in terms of what they've done, what they continue to do, the records they continue to break. And I'm putting team in young and since, yes, he's won a Grand Slam now, but that was this year. And do you see what I mean in terms of how I'm breaking them up? Because... Wait, team you falls should probably the... not do young and old to be fair it's probably not the well, most accurate yeah, but then you don't but then you don't want to put experience and inexperience so how would you break up how would you separate how because team the others you could say young because they are all of that age well it's just the big three and everyone else right that's it I mean Federer's well, not there but the other two are obviously the rest of the big three and then just the rest of the field okay so I like the fact it was the big two and everyone else. Yeah, okay. I, I like I like the fact it was the mix of the guys who've been there, seen it, done it, despite the fact Nadal, having been a runner-up twice, has never won this trophy. But they're the two guys who've been at the top of the game for so many years. And the other guys who are trying to make the breakthrough, and in team's case, has made the breakthrough in terms of grand set. So I was really interested and intrigued to see the matchups. You know, the, the Djokovic and the Medvedev, the team Nadal. Do you see what I mean? I, I, I like the fact there was that variety. And that's what we've had for so long, isn't it? It's, it's about who's going to sort of break through, who's going to take this away from the old guard, as it were, and everybody talking about the next gen coming through for forever, it feels like. <laughs> and as you say, team has been the leading sort of the next gen knocking on the door and he's 27 and he finally got his grand slam. Uh, and yeah, it's, it, it is it is quite extraordinary, but I'm sure that top 10 is going to be looking, it is already looking very full and it's just going to get fuller and fuller. As I say, you've got some players just outside who look like they're going to be getting up there, look like they're going to be nice and consistent. You know, Rublev as well. Um, I think we'll see him there again. So yeah, and you've got some others as well that you just never know. I mean, Hashanov is, uh, you know, he was 
he won Paris Masters a, a couple of years ago. So he's got the ability, just hasn't had a great year or so for him. I, I, yeah, I think it's just exciting. And I'm excited for it to go to Turin. Do you think it's a good thing that it moves? Yeah, I do. I think London has done... I think London's done an incredible job, but I think it's it's good to freshen things up, isn't it? I think anything, whether it's a, a coaching partnership, we saw all the doubles. It's like dominoes, isn't it? The doubles. One team splits and then everyone splits and everyone's kind of moving around. But I think freshening things up is a good thing. And I think yeah. going to Turin, it's there'll be a different vibe there. They'll put on a completely different show. There's no saying it won't come back to London. I mean, Turin has got it for at least the next five years. But the O2 did such a, an outstanding job with it in terms of, you know, two sessions a day, two sold out sessions a day for eight days. I mean, it's it's incredible, isn't it? But no, I, I think it's, would you, do you want it, would you like it to, I'm now banging Nadal's drum, would you like it to move surfaces? Oh, you know, I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah, I'm I'm struggling to see... I can understand that obviously this particular tournament is not on clay, so Nadal hasn't won it. <laughs> but yeah, I, d- I don't know. I mean, look, it's going to be slightly different in Turin, isn't it? But no, I, I'm not too bothered about it not being on clay. It's not in the clay court season. The clay court season has got loads of masters. It's got a grand slam. I think it's absolutely fine. Yeah. And if we're saying that, and the reason I, I called them young and old is because I... Stefano Sitzbass gave an interview and he said, I don't want to be referred to as next gen anymore. He said, I believe, I think it was after he got to the semifinals of Roland Garros this year. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he's graduated, hasn't he? He won the next gen, so he did that. Then he won the O2 the following year. I mean, that is quite a transformation. But there's still, there's still a tendency, isn't there, to just call them next geners. And well, then. To be fair, we still have been calling team next well, gen. Exactly. <laughs> Well, he was years, never next so. gen. He never played in the next gen. There wasn't a next there gen. There wasn't a next gen. <laughs> <laughs> so I basically, I thought I'm just young and old. And you know what? We know exactly who we're talking about. Um, but in terms of the, okay, in terms of the old, <laughs> two questions for you. Do you think Nadal, was that his best chance? Do you think he will ever add the Tour Finals trophy to his trophy cabinet? Um, I think he could. I think he probably won't. This probably was his best chance just because of the lack of tennis there's been this year. He was at his freshest. He wasn't injured. He wasn't, we weren't wondering, is he going to pull out? I think each year in the lead up, we've been thinking, is he going to pull out? And then maybe he pulls out of Bercy. And then in the tournament, he plays one match, say, at the O2. And then we were all thinking, is he going to pull out? And then he did pull out. And you know what I mean? So it's, he's always there a little bit hindered. And this year he wasn't, but he didn't win it. It's not his favourite surface. I think he gave it a good a good crack so probably won't win it again just because of the time of year uh, I don't think Turin are going to put it on clay uh, so, <laughs> so, um, so yeah but I think it's really I, I'm really happy that it's going to somewhere like Turin I know we, we know they're going to do a good job because we've seen what they've done with the next gen in Milan and it's a very yep. similar format and they've yep. done a fabulous job with that really really they have also just their investment in tennis over the past sort of decade has been absolutely huge all the players they've got coming through all of the tournaments they've put on. You, of course, have Gaudenzi now heading things up. So they're really, I don't know, they're just, they're so relevant. There are lots of Italian players as well. And I just think it's a, a great, a great move. And we've talked about the the handing over of the baton from young to old. <laughs> yes. And it it felt like it was something we talked about for so long. It didn't quite happen. Wait, old, young to old or old to young? From old to young. 
old, old to young. young. Yes, yeah. the young. I'm not sure. Well, I'm not, old to I'm not sure what the old. I'm not sure what the old would take from the young. But yes, from the from yes, you know what I mean. And yeah. don't don't start confusing me. I'm with you. Uh, I mean, I've had more sleep than you, but I can still <laughs> I can still very easily get confused. So we've talked about it for a long time. When are they going to take over? When are they da da da? Team wins the USA, but and I know that there has to be an asterisk in terms of this conversation because Djokovic did what he did and if he hadn't I'm pretty sure he would have won it right then we have Djokovic and Nadal beaten by the younger guys at the tour finals are we starting to see that transition or can we not say that because of the year we've had and it's been so disjointed no of course we're starting to see the transition absolutely I think it's more there'll be that transitional period where they're all competing so it's it's not really like team has displaced anyone he's just added his name to the mix now and he's to be fair he's been in the mix for a little while um but uh, yeah once he maybe realized that the nadal grip on roland garros was maybe the <laughs> the tightest of all of them that he would uh, work on his uh, faster surface game and that has worked wonders for him he's been fabulous on outdoor hard of course winning his first masters and then winning the us open so i I think he's just you've now got when when we talk about each slam we're going to look to the Australian Open yes Djokovic will be the favorite but you're going to talk about Djokovic Nadal I mean who knows what state Federer is going to be in. you will also talk about team in terms of winning it and then you'll go to the outsiders I don't think he's an outsider anymore do you still see Medvedev as an outsider yes I do Absolutely. I know he made the final of the US Open last year and he, he did take it to, to five sets, but has he looked like he can win a Grand Slam? I mean, other than that that one performance, no. Whereas with team, he has consistently looked like he can win that yeah. Grand Slam. Year after year at Roland Garros, he's been so, so consistent. Uh, and then, of course, doing really well on the hard. Um, I think for Medvedev, just a little bit more of the transition from three sets to five sets. Um, which does take some time, as we've seen with team. I mean, team's an absolute animal, and it still took him a bit of time. Uh, it took Djokovic time. It took Murray time. Um, you know, all of those players. It didn't take Nadal any time at all. I think he was born for five sets when he was about <laughs> six years old. He just turned up at eighteen on his debut and was like, yeah, "Oh, fine. and that that debate's been reignited." There was a question put to all the players in the press conferences about would they like Grand Slams to go from five to three sets? And I'm just trying to think around. I think Nadal. Was he still for five sets? And Oh, Nadal would be for five sets. I mean, Nadal would be crazy to change it yeah, to three then, sets. But then Djokovic, interestingly, said no three sets, mm. I, which surprised me because he does so well over that format and has done so well and continues to do so well. But he suddenly went, actually, I think three sets. I think, you know, we're just the bodies, the physical, the toll, the calendar, the everything. So it was quite interesting to see the split between those eight players at the event as to, I mean, do you, have you got any thoughts? Three, five, don't mind? Ugh. I don't know. It's the same, same debate rumbling on. But think for Djokovic, he, yeah, he's probably looking more at longevity now of his career, isn't he? I mean, he knows he's the best in the world. He knows he's the best tennis player. And it's just about can he continue to play? So he would love for it to go to three sets, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's fine as it is. I don't really mind. We had some commentary gold as part oh. of... <laughs> as part of ATP Tennis Radio's coverage. Now, I'm sure a number of people listening to this have heard it. If not, you can find it on social media. Actually, if you if you scroll through Tennis TV's account, Instagram or Twitter, you will find it because they actually put the radio commentary to pictures. That's one thing to remember. They actually put radio commentary to the pictures. But it was... Uh, <laughs> I remember calling you up 
to play it to you because <laughs> now th- th- this is with the blessing of Barry Cowan, who was the commentator in the commentary box alongside Claire Curran. Now I'm, I'm sitting in, Miles and I were waiting for the next match, waiting for the singles. So we're sort of sat down doing our prayer. We were watching tennis TV, watching the match. I suddenly got a message from Claire Curran on my WhatsApp that said, Barry has just said penis on air. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at which point I I looked at Miles, repeated the message and I couldn't get any more sense out of Claire because at this point she had gone. She'd lost it. We looked at the match they were doing and they were doing a match involving John Piers and Michael Venus. Mm. Can you see where the problem might come in? Yeah, and you know what? I've never thought of it because it seems so obvious now, doesn't it? Oh, poor Barry. It's Look, it's tough, isn't it, doing doubles on radio? It's really, really tough uh, just to get the words out quick enough, especially when they're kind of volleying at the net and that was the scenario that he was doing. It's happened so quickly. And you've got to try and shout out the names. And yeah, he mashed them together, didn't he? Um, oh, but it was brilliant. It was absolute gold. If people wonder how that can happen just now say Piers and Venus over and over again quite quickly so you just right. see Piers Venus Piers Venus and you will eventually end up with what Barry ended up with and it was uh, and and sort of Barry said it. it I mean everyone should listen but he said it and then there was a pause <laughs> and then Claire tried to pull it back Claire couldn't speak and then Barry went to our producer Russell for some sort of guidance you know some help sort of you know but he was on the floor laughing I mean Russell <laughs> Russell had gone you would be there wouldn't you I, 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 the, the thing that saved Barry and Claire was I think the next point was set point so they, they go to a break <laughs> they managed to get set point and it was pretty much like normally you know you round up a set oh that was it was pretty much like oh seven six eight, uh, second set <laughs> yeah, done <laughs> and it was uh, it was oh it's brilliant and then and uh, russell he he gave the clip to barry and he said look if, if you want to send it to people he said it should be up to barry if, if he wants to let people know about the clip and and he did and there's been some amazing things on social media coaches players saying we're never going to think of them the same again um and and I found I did I did one doubles match and it and it wasn't there but obviously I'm reading out results I've never pronounced I would say John Piers and Michael Venus you know I've never taken so much care in saying names before yeah you just got to be relieved that it wasn't you really that, that did it although it's very funny and obviously it's just a, it's, it's all harmless you know he's not oh, gonna he's get in legend. any trouble for no, it so no one no one needs to worry about Barry but it, it's so it's so good when it happens isn't it they are one doubles team who are not splitting up so Piers and Venus will be marching on but isn't it like dominoes isn't it I believe I'm not sure if this was the start of it but Marte Pavic told Bruno Suarez that he was going with Nikola Mektic and I don't know whether that's got something or anything at all to do with the Olympics next year. Ah, so of course. Because they Nicola... just won the US Open. Exactly. And they finished number one doubles team. Yeah. And, and and Bruno Suarez said, I was in press, he said, I was a little bit sort of sad and surprised because of what we'd done. So then Nikola Mektic was with Wesley Kulhoff and they won the tour finals. So then Wesley's looking for a new partner. So he's with Lucas Kubot, which meant Kubot and Mello and no more. And then Jamie Murray heard that Bruno was free and went to Bruno. I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, it's quite incredible. Yeah, it's the season, isn't it? It's the uh, the double swapping season for sure. But I think I've, I feel bad a bit for Bruno really because he got he got ditched this year. He got ditched by Jamie last year, and uh, not in a obviously not in a bad way. They're, they're still friends, but he said a very similar thing in terms of 
it was it was Jamie's decision. It wasn't his decision to yep. to end it. Uh, and obviously, they had been very successful as well. And then the same uh, the same thing this year. I mean, what more could you do? But yeah, I think you're right. Actually, I hadn't even thought about that. It must be the Olymp- Olympics next year. But then, if it was the Olympics next year, why wasn't it the Olympics this year? Because it was supposed to be this year. So why didn't they decide to do that? Oh, that's a very good point. This year, it's very good. I mean, it is quite brutal. But I was I was chatting with Barry and Miles about this off air, and and also as we've talked about tennis players, your individual contractors, right? So this is your business, and if you feel it might simply be a case if you want to play with your best mate, fair enough. That's you know that's fine. Or if you feel someone else will, I don't know, cover a weakness, make you better. As, I mean, I, I don't think I could do this. I just, um, oh, it'd be awful. But it depends. It, honestly, it depends what sort of player you are. So somebody like a Bruno is, um, you know, he's he's not a singles player, but he, he I mean, the, the best doubles pair, everybody says it, if you could pick would be a strong singles player with a strong doubles player. And when I say singles and doubles, it's about those strengths that they have. So the singles player will bring strong serving, strong returning, very solid from the back of the court. They'll be pretty clinical when it comes so to Jack things. Sock, right? Some, well, yeah, somebody like a Jack Sock, exactly. I mean, that forehand, the serve, the return, I mean, there's just nothing you can really do about it. It doesn't matter how good doubles you are. And then if you pair him with a Brian brother, as we saw, Ooh, or yeah, whoever, yeah, yeah. to be honest, he played with everybody. Isn't it? Yeah. He's somebody who could play with everyone, really, because what he brings to the court is, you know, of just such a, a, a well-rounded level. And if he plays with somebody who really understands doubles, is lightning fast at the net, and somebody that he can set up really, really well, then um, that will be that will work perfectly. So it, you have to really know your own strengths and weaknesses. And you have to be pretty honest. So somebody like a Bruno has got fabulous returns. He's great out on the ad side when he's returning he's strong from the back of the court he's got a really nice solid serve he's also fabulous at the net he does lots of other different things but that's the real key that he brings to to the court because having a strong returner is so important and that really say compliments somebody like a Jamie Murray incredibly well because Jamie's known for his volleys he's known for his doubles play he's not known for his return so he has to play with a strong returner otherwise how on earth will they ever break uh, you know he does do incredibly well especially with his lobs and he's got all of these little quirky bits of finesse that he brings but he needs somebody solid that brings just that level of base uh, to the court and he did actually find that fairly well with Neil it just didn't quite take off they did well they did gel but it didn't quite go to the heights that he was looking for of course wants to win grand slams so for me him and Bruno are a fantastic partnership but in terms of what you look for somebody like Bruno as we've seen can pretty much play with lots of different people like a Jack Sock because he just has that base level and he just needs somebody to be able to finish off when he sets them up and compliment him in in those sorts of ways also he's so relaxed it's ridiculous he's he's so, so chill it's it's crazy so he he just has that sort of vibe where he can play with anyone and then somebody like a, a, a Jamie Murray or a Mektich or or whoever they they're a little bit more specific with what they need require in a partner so they have to kind of really analyze what will work whereas you can imagine Bruno being like okay sure let's play <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do the year and see how we go. <laughs> Whereas yeah, other people will be meticul- a bit more meticulous. As brutal as it seems with someone walking up to someone where you've won a Grand Slam and you then ended up year-end number one saying, right, we're not going to be together next season. It's a shock because then you need to think, I need to find someone. It's not too long to pre-season and who am I going to find? And that that sort of few weeks, it's we, we think of the tour finals like end of term. 
You know, it's our last few days to get everyone going their separate ways. But for the doubles, it must be the most stressful period of the year because that's when if there's going to be a split and you might not even expect it, it's going to happen. So there was one day when lots of uh, lots of kind of new, well, not splits, lots of new pairings were confirmed. So Marcelo Mello is going to be with Jean-Julien Roger. I think Edouard Roger Vasselin got to the final with Jürgen Meltzer. He's going to be with Henry Continen and... And so on and so on. So we've got those to look out for. Oh, I have um, I have nativity news for you. Oh, wow. Already? It's not December yet. No, but it's, they're rehearsing because it is the school nativity play. Right. And this year it's being done remotely because of COVID. So they're going to film it and then send all the parents a copy. Oh, okay. And, nice. and the big moment is, you know, what have you got? What are your children? And I was at work doing the tour finals. And I'd actually called home and, and spoken to the boys and they're just, you know, I had a jacket potato for lunch and played with my friends and what did you do in class? Can't remember. You know, the usual, there's, there's the usual daily thing, basically sure. what I get. Right. So then I say, oh, so I'll speak to you later, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I got a text from uh, a friend and she said, oh, my son is, uh, my son is a shepherd. And I was like, what? And she said, oh, it's nativity. They've all got their, just sons a shepherd. I was like, ah. So I ring back and I say, apparently we've got nativity roles. And they were like, oh, yeah. And it turned out I had, at the start of the week, I had a wise man and a camel. Oh, okay. Not bad. Right. Not bad. It, not bad because the wise man was very happy that he got to say something. Okay. And, Ooh, and wonderful. You know, okay. What did the wise men give? What were the three things they gave? Uh, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Exactly. For your five-year-old, which one do you not want him to have to say? frankincense <laughs> you're gonna say frankenstein so, no, so, to, so, so, to, so to my delight he got gold and i said that's brilliant and i said what did your friend get and he said frankin fry fin frison frankin so and i was like right okay so gold is good and he said yeah. yeah gold is very good so we've got a wise man with gold and he's got a line and he's really happy and every night he practices his line and the camel was very happy to be a camel because the camel didn't want to talk. Oh, there you go. Perfect. So he's got his two mates, three camels, and he's his brother's camel, which I think could have led to problems, you know, because one's in charge oh. of the other. <laughs> then the next day, <clears throat> excuse me, next day, I get a call saying you don't have a camel anymore because one of the shepherds got unhappy because the shepherd didn't want to speak. Shepherd wanted to be a camel. So my camel became a shepherd. Right. Is this where it gets all super competitive between parents? It seems so. What's we the had... worst one you could be? What's the worst role? Well, the thing is, I think it depends on your character. So some people might not let their child being a sheep or a camel, whereas one of mine was delighted to be a camel because he got to sit with his friends and he didn't have to speak. Do yeah. you see what I mean? It depends if, and for me as a parent, I just want, I just want them to be happy. So they speak, don't speak. It is like their best friend is the angel Gabriel and has to fly. Ooh. Well, that's a whole different level, right? <laughs> going to have to fly. I don't think in this nativity we have trees because I don't think I'd want my child to be a tree because I feel an inanimate object. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I think at that point I'd be like, do you need do we need a palm tree? Don't think so. So but there were lots of well, there were girls, all the girls wanted to be angels. Yeah. Obviously, I imagine. So there was there was a little bit of shuffling round of wise men and shepherds becoming angels. I think there was a little issue there. We had Camelgate, but luckily, um the twin uh one of my twins, he was fine. Shepherd, he's now got a line. He didn't want to speak, but he's coming round to the idea of talking. Um 
So yes, I started with a camel. I had to write to the school office because <laughs> I didn't know who was what because it kept changing and I heard four different things. And just think in this COVID times, they've got all these important emails coming in, all this. I had to write saying, I'm really sorry, but I need to ask because we can't speak to the teachers now because of COVID, everyone's quite separate. So I had to email and say, on Monday, I had a wise man and a camel. On Wednesday, I'm not quite sure what I have. <laughs> and I felt I felt really silly emailing. But yes, no, we're fine. We're in rehearsals. Shepherd, wise man, gold, both have a line. We're okay. So do you have to make the costumes? Wonderfully, wonderfully. They send you a piece of paper with what you need to add or bring or make. And wonderfully, because obviously there's a wise man every year in the nativity, which is brilliant. They have the wise man outfit. No way. Brilliant. Ah. And for the camel, I had to supply a couple of bits and pieces. But since he moved to a shepherd, they also have it. I think they probably just stick a sheep with a hole over his head. Well, right? a shepherd's, shepherd's all right, isn't it? Because you just whack a tea towel on. Isn't that normally exactly. what you do? Well, tea, tea towel, towel might on. be a bit small. Do you, my child's not that small. Tea towel might we be. We always I don't do tea towels. I don't know what tea towels you use, but that'll be a bit small. <laughs> so, but they have a big tea towel in that case. So wonderfully, no, I don't have, because sewing bits like that, I'm not sure that's going to be my strength. So uh -huh. wonderfully, I don't have to supply anything and they, they're going to video it and send it to us. And so, yeah, so nativity news, we seem, we seem happy. Well, which it's like is, the easiest nativity ever for you. It's amazing even the camel I had to supply a couple of things that they said oh can you bring a black t-shirt I thought I don't think I've got a black t-shirt strangely so no so all set and uh, I'll keep you posted with how the performances go and, and the other thing we've got to touch on before the little man oh, awakes yes. and needs your attention is Australia the yes. how when and is your gut feeling that Australia will happen yeah I think so but yeah how how when yeah. Where? Well, I think we know where. As well. <laughs> we <laughs> definitely know where. Uh, yeah, I think, oh, I don't know. It's up in the air, isn't it? And As a player, how disruptive would this be, this period of... So we now know that they're not going to let players in in December or at the very earliest it will be the very end, but more likely early January. So on one side, great. These players for the first time in however long have got a Christmas at home, which actually might be quite a nice thing. But in terms of preparation, in terms of players going from, I don't know, really cold countries and suddenly turning up in 40 degree Australian summer, how how disruptive, annoying and stressful would that be for you as a player? Yeah, it's not ideal. That's pretty much the main thing. I mean, in terms of when the tournament happens and whether there are tournaments before or after and how the, the schedule's affected, tennis players will do what they're told. If yep. you know the ATP and WTA, ITF say, this is when it is, this is what's happening, we've sorted out the schedule, then we're going to do blah, blah, blah. They'll just turn up. They, they don't care. They just want to play. But yeah, the preparation is, is not going to be ideal. Um, but I don't think that many players will be stuck in cold countries. You would imagine they would be able to go and do some Florida training or go and, and train somewhere in the heat. As long as they follow the quarantine rules going into Australia, it seems like that's all, all fine. So I, th I believe they would, for the most part, would at least get a couple of weeks in the heat before going. But that's going to be the issue, isn't it? Because if you have to go somewhere where there's a two-week quarantine and you have to be quite restricted and you can't get out that much, and then you go somewhere else and there's another two weeks, it just adds. And that was, Dominic Team was touching on that at the O2. He said, it's been very stressful. Look, they're really appreciative, and so are we, that tennis came back. But all the quarantining, Daniel Medvedev said his wife really wanted to be at the O2, but she couldn't be there because 
in these times, it's not as easy to travel around. So if you're adding, I don't know, say you're coming for the UK and then you go to America and then you go to Australia, I imagine that could have its own complications in terms of, of quarantine and what you can and can't do. Yeah, I know. It's difficult, isn't it? I just, oof. it is a bit weird not knowing when the Australian Open is going to be, but it seems like it's only going to be maybe a week or two out from where it should normally be. But I don't know. Everything can change, right? It's um, it's almost like they've got more to lose in Australia by putting on an event like this because they've got down to zero cases. Whereas in the UK or Paris or in, in New York, it's in circulation. It's there. It's just about whether you would be increasing it. But this is a, you know, you could introduce a, a complete outbreak and you could pinpoint it right back to a, a, an event. It would be very easy to do that because they don't have many cases. So, yeah, it's a it's a little bit tense. It's, it's the kind of it's the government and Tennis Australia who are working together. But at the same time, Tennis Australia, for many reasons, really want this event, the Australian Tennis Summer, to happen, the money it generates, the, the tennis that's able to be played. But as you say, the government are thinking, we don't have any cases at the moment. I mean, we know in the UK, we're due to come out of lockdown on the 2nd of December. And we've been told that from like the 23rd to the 27th, three households can mix indoors, have Christmas. We're told there might be repercussions for that. I've just heard in France that from next week, things will be eased. But I've just heard from France that restaurants and bars will not be open till the 1st of February. Oh, wow. That's long term. So they can they can still do the takeaway service if they can do. But the, the 9 p.m. curfew is coming back apart from Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve in France. So they're going to be very strict on that with fines and no restaurants until the 1st of February. I mean, this is it's it, as you say, it's ever changing. And if you're a country that has no cases, do you want to open your doors to thousands of people coming in? It's uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a big risk. And and that's the thing is, you know, we've we talked about it a lot, but the unique part of of tennis is it's kind of like a mini olympics everywhere you go because players come from all over the world it's not like you know you're getting a team of players from one area or, or whatever it, it's um yeah it's pretty extraordinary and then the the, the, the the scale of it all i mean the amount of people you need to be involved is absolutely huge i mean new york was a success and so was paris but they were very different because they were in cities that had covid it was there we were expecting yep. positive tests we didn't actually get that many we were quite fortunate with it really uh, apart from our benoit um but uh, <laughs> who i see is making up for lost time he's playing an exhibition at the moment i think in the uh, the nordic oh, yes, yes. The yeah, nordic one i don't know how nordic he is but uh, he's he's filling in for somebody who had to had to pull out of that that tournament but yeah, so you can understand them being pretty pretty apprehensive they've just been through a very strict lockdown particularly in melbourne and a very long lockdown as well. Uh, and it would, you can understand that uh, a lot of members of the public would think, well, why would we do that if we just then let in thousands of people from around the world just for a tennis tournament? So, uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll be managed well. I'm sure it will go ahead, um, but probably just a little bit later. Now, I have to say, you're not rocking this week and you haven't fallen asleep on me. These are these are no. two positives. But and, and I do want to say I, I really appreciate, I mean, I left it totally up to you as to when we restarted the pods I know what it's like with newborn little ones it's it's crazy and the last couple of days if I haven't heard from you I haven't messaged because it's the ever-changing <laughs> I mean every day you have a good day bad day a week of good days a week of bad days there's no rhyme or reason as to why there are good and bad days in the early days it's just baby life so 
I really appreciate the fact that, that we're doing this because it's a, it's a wonderful but crazy old time for you. And But as I say, loads of people on social media wishing you guys well. Oh, thanks, everyone. Um, and thank you again, everyone, for the names. You never know, they might come into play for baby number two. I know you're not thinking about that yet, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I tell you, baby number two is off the table right now. I'm just saying we've got, a, we've got a stash of names ready to go. Okay. And, and all being well, uh, we're going to be back with everyone next week because there's still there's still lots going on. So, yes. yeah, no, I, I appreciate your time and I'm going to let you go and, and sort out the little one. Right. I'm going to go feed him. Bye. Bye. Bye.